0: you're listening to the Prepper Recon Podcast. For questions, comments, and podcast archives, go to PrepperRecon.com. I regularly get emails from readers saying, I've read everything you've written. Who should I read next? My answer is always the same. Jamie Lee Gray. She writes Christian post apocalyptic fiction, and as you'll learn in today's interview, she's totally switched on when it comes to what's going on in our world. Jamie, I should have had you on the show years ago, but better late than never. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here.
0: And the, uh, The World Economic Forum is holding their Cyber Polygon event next month. This year's event will focus on cyber attacks against the supply chain infrastructure. Coincidentally, we've had two such attacks in the last few weeks, one on the Colonial Pipeline, of course, and another on JBS, the largest meat processing company in the world. Both attacks were blamed on Russian hackers. Also coincidentally is how well the goals of these cyber ne'er-do-wells align with those of the World Economic Forum. For the sake of the planet, they'd like us to eat less meat and burn fewer fossil fuels. Do you find this collection of coincidences suspicious?
1: Well, yeah, Mark, Um, I think we should all be suspicious of coincidences that seem to consistently move things in the direction of one political ideology. If these things were actually coincidences, then it would seem that about half of them should end up supporting the efforts of the conservatives. And since that doesn't happen, we should all be suspicious that they aren't coincidences at all. And let's remember that the World Economic Forum recently announced that under their planned Great Reset, citizens will no longer own any private property by the year 2030. That would be no homes, no cars, no farms, no homestead, and that's less than nine years from now. Their goal is a totalitarian government, something like communism on steroids. And in the past year, they've been making huge progress toward those goals. One of their favorite tools is Quashing Dissent, and canceling anyone that speaks out against them or their plans. This is a communist strategy, and they'll ratchet up the pressure and the coercive violence. I think in the next few years.
0: In 2030, that's uh, you know that's obviously we've had Agenda 2030, right? Um, and uh, and then Biden has his 30 by 30 plan, mm-hmm. where he'd like to have the United States government. Uh, Take control, or have at least thirty percent of the cotton of, of our country uh, put into uh, conservation. So right, uh, right, and and then it doesn't stop at twenty thirty. He's got he's got a fifty by fifty also um, plan. So he would like to have fifty percent of the land area in the United States um, in conservation or under government control
1: right, by twenty fifty, and that's just so crazy, because um, I I live in a Western state, and huge um, portions of the West are already under conservation or under government control, Um, but the West, um, even though huge parts of our state are that way, um, the eastern half of the country is not that way at all. Um, And so even in total, right now, I think the government has under conservation 11% or possibly 12% of the land in the United States. And um, so when you think of going from 11%, um, which is massive amounts, you know, in our area, um, to 30%, where are they going to come up with that additional almost 30% or on a 50 by 50, you know, 50%? They're... The only places that are left to take, I think, are the farms. I mean, the only areas that are not developed or don't have massive, you know, cities or communities or, or tracts of homes, that's farmland. I don't know what else they can possibly seize.
0: We were talking before the show about the, right. you know, you're in a, a very uh, kind of a what a lot of people would consider a desirable Part of the country, mm-hmm. um, I guess I wouldn't be revealing too much to say it's it's somewhere in the, the American readout, right? Uh, and there's a lot of a lot of a lot of conservatives uh, like that area, and you know I'm in the I'm in the Appalachians, and uh, a lot of conservatives like this area, right. but with the demise of the cities, um, it's not just conservatives who are are moving to these areas um uh, a lot of folks are are wanting to kind of uh, distance themselves from the the chaos that they're seeing in the destroyed cities right. and and uh prices in your area and my area are skyrocketing and that's before that's just with people competing with each other uh can you imagine what the prices will be like in these areas once they have to start competing with uh some bureau of land management uh special uh envoy that's that's out with uh, with their own printing press that can just print as much money as they want digitally and and buy as much uh property as they want because they've got a government mandate to to soak up 30% and then 50% of the land area in America. Uh I guess if 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 people are looking at buying uh, acreage, as um, bad as it is right now to be doing that, obviously, you know, three or four years ago would have been a much better time than it is now. Right. But but, do you think now is a better time than it will be a year from now, two years from now, five years from now?
1: Right. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, we do have huge increases in the cost of land and, and homes, um, but I think it's only going to go up from here um and so it it would really only make sense and and plus you know we've got the problem with the dollar um being devalued and that will also lead to increases in prices going forward
0: yeah i think you're absolutely right i've i've seen a couple of of youtube videos on the coming housing uh collapse and it's all based on um when the the uh when the government quits sending out checks for, for, um, for stimulus, and when they end the the uh, mor- moratoriums for for uh, mortgage defaults, and when they end uh, moratoriums for for people that can't pay their rent, and you know, <laughs> and that's a lot of wins because. Right. I don't think they plan on ending any of that because I think that it's it all plays into part of their plan to get folks more and more dependent on the government, more and more dependent on those checks.
1: Definitely. And, uh, And, you know, um, there's a lot of people that are calling for universal basic income, um, you know, which is the direction that these stimulus checks are taking anyway. I mean, it's kind of like an introduction. Hey, how do you like it? Oh, we like it a lot. You know, let's have universal basic income. So yeah, we're definitely trending in that direction.
0: Yeah, I don't think we're going to see the end of the stimulus checks. I think I think that that is the universal basic income, and I think it's it's exactly like you're saying. It's being it's being slipped in
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, with with that program, and and I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're gonna turn that spigot off. And no. it's like it, like you said it, it it serves to devalue the dollar, to uh, you know another one of the World Economic Forum. Uh, um goals or or maybe not goals, but one of the things that uh, predictions was that you know the United States would no longer be the predominant country in the world, right. and so um, the devaluation and destruction of the dollar uh, helps to reach that prediction or uh, maybe it is a goal Something it's
1: definitely moving in that direction.
0: Now, uh, speaking of the World Economic Forum, they teamed up with John Hopkins Center for Security back in October of 2019 for event 201. In this exercise, they wargamed a scenario for a global pandemic. Two months later, the first case of COVID-19 would be reported in China. The coincidences just keep piling up, don't they?
1: Well, they sure do. Um, and that again points to the fact that they're not really coincidences at all. Um, in global politics and national politics too, there's almost zero coincidences. Um, nearly everything that happens has been planned, organized, or engineered by someone for a specific person. Um, just yesterday, um, Tucker Carlson discussed the fact that apparently, the FBI organized and um, physically instigated the January 6th attack on the Capitol. So even that wasn't coincidental, and it remains to be seen, you know, how much we're going to ever find out about the truth in that, but certainly not a coincidence. Um, and some people might just scoff and say, ah, oh, it's just a conspiracy theory. Uh, but the reality is political history is a history of conspiracies, and that's why history is so interesting it reads like a good novel. Lots of palace intrigue, subterfuge, betrayal, and conspiracy.
0: Yeah, the uh, the, the Reichstag fire <laughs> is what you, is what uh, Hitler used to uh, you know to uh, uh, to to reach his political goals, mm-hmm. and of course that was considered a a, a conspiracy theory at the time. Right. But uh, he organized basically uh, sort of an attack on on the German capital. Right, Um, right. To 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 bring about a uh, uh, the political will to move against his enemies.
1: Right, and here we go again.
0: Yeah, so it's a good playbook. It works. Uh, Why not? Right,
1: right, right. Why make up something new if you can repeat something that nobody remembers?
0: Uh huh. What about vaccines? How comfortable are you with being part of the biggest medical experiment in the history of the world?
1: Wow, that's kind of a can of worms. Um, first, let me just say that I don't have a problem with real vaccines. Um, you know, I get my tetanus boosters, and uh, last year we had a bat in our house. And if I need rabies vaccines, I would have gone ahead and gotten those. Um, but let's be honest. Uh, most of what we're euphemistically calling COVID vaccines are actually genetic therapy, and it's experimental. And so, how comfortable would you be getting experimental gene therapy? I mean, who would rush out and sign up for that if we called it experimental genetic therapy rather than vaccines? Um, And also, let's keep in mind that although these injections have only been available for about six months, they've already killed more people than all of the real vaccines in the past 15 years put together. So maybe you'll you'll get the shots and be okay. I have friends that have done that. Um, maybe you'll be one of the unlock, unlucky ones, and you know you'll die. But the only way to find out is to get the injections and see how it goes.
0: Yeah, and a lot of the a lot of the side effects with with uh, with these types of experiments um, don't become obvious for decades. Right. There, there were, there were some, uh, some vaccines that were given uh, decades back that, uh, you know, it didn't harm the, the, the people that took the, that took the shot. But then they found out um, their, their, uh, their daughters, the daughters of women that took this vaccine uh, were, were unable to, to uh, carry a baby to term. Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, that could, you could be, that would be 20 years from now. The people mm-hmm. are that are taking the shot now it could be twenty years before they find out oh well there's uh you know it's got uh it has uh side effects on my adult children, so right
1: well, and we already know at this point a lot of the side effects uh that are very serious i mean if you don't die or you know have have a problem like that um but a lot of the side effects do are affecting women. Um, you know, they're having, um, problems with the reproductive cycles. Um, they're having miscarriages, um, they're having stillbirths, uh, and that's the women. Also, they're having, a lot of the women are having more of the blood clots in the brain, but the men, the young men, um, are having, um, significant problems with their heart, uh, inflammation. Um, and these are young men, teenagers and, and early 20s, um, and we know that that age is the least likely to suffer ill effects, serious ill effects from the actual virus itself. But, you know, so, you know, run out and get your teenagers inoculated with something that might damage their heart. I, I, I don't understand that.
0: Yeah. For for something that's uh, that has uh, two, two one thousandths of a percent chance of uh, of dying in that in that age bracket, right? Last December, FireEye, a big cybersecurity firm, reported that their red team toolkit had been stolen by guess who, Russian hackers. Mm-hmm. One of their clients was Sellerwinds, who provides IT infrastructure for the federal government, including the entire intelligence industrial complex. Another of their clients is Bill Gates, Microsoft, who provides software for, well, everyone not on a Mac. Mm -hmm. Do you suspect this breach could have simply been to provide a narrative for future attacks against U.S. infrastructure?
1: Um, I think maybe. Um, And if so, they've already set up the scapegoat, you know, Russia, Russia, Russia. Um, And I don't know, Mark, when this um, podcast is going live on your site, but today as we're recording it, Putin and Biden are meeting in Geneva, um, you know, and they're discussing some of these things. And um, Putin came out earlier this week and said, um, you know, America keeps blaming us for these cyber attacks and, and whatnot, but they don't provide any proof or evidence. And basically, you know, he just said, you know, it's not us. Um, but uh, whether it's foreign or domestic bad guys, um, this could lead up to a stunning disaster, and it just goes to show how inept and unprepared our government agencies have become. All five branches of our military were hacked, as well as the department controlling our nu- nuclear arsenal. So what could go wrong?
0: And let's go back to what we were talking about earlier with the world economic forum's agenda and agenda 2030 mm-hmm. biden's 30 by 30 initiative um a lot of this stuff is going to require that we push people back into the, to the population centers um you know <laughs> i think it's one of the things of the globalists they don't want to have to to share the earth with uh all of us little folk
1: right
0: um when we look at that and we look at how a lot of how we've seen a lot of people kind of flee to the countryside with COVID, um, how are they going to get us back into the cities? Do you, do you, do you ex- expect that a, a cyber attack could be used to, to make things harder on people live, living in, in rural areas? I mean, obviously, if you, you know, if you have like a, a pipeline attack, like we saw with Colonial Pipeline, um, You know, if you're driving 30 miles to work because you live in the countryside, uh, you need more gas than somebody that has a a mile-and-a-half commute or somebody that that can take a city bus. Um, Do you think we might see cyber attacks that are are sort of uh, focused
1: on that goal? Well, I think we might. Um, And just for example, you know, if, if I were the bad guy, you know, foreign or domestic, planning, you know, a cyber attack on the United States, um, you know, I might go after banking or I might go after food distribution, but I think I would be really inclined to go after the electric grid. And, um, you know, just from experience, I can tell you that when the power goes out where I live, um, the cities get it first. I mean, they get restored usually within hours. Um, whereas people that live further, farther out, you know, may wait days. One time I waited as long as a week, you know, for my power to come back on. So, um, those kinds of things, um, can definitely be used to encourage people to move into the cities, um, to relocate back where they want you to be. Um, you know, if you, if you, um, can't buy gas or you don't have you know, your, your power's off for an extended period of time. And, you know, they say, well, we might get around to it next month or whenever. You know, people are not going to be inclined to live um, outside of town if they don't have services there.
0: And, you know, the uh, World Economic Forum, they're a big supporter of the Smart Cities Initiative. And so, this idea is exactly what we've been talking about. It's it's to corral the entire population into megacities where people can be easily monitored, controlled, uh, radiated with 5G EMF waves, um, fed genetically modified food, dripping with insecticides, vaccinated, and relying on electric cars that can't get very far away from the pan. Uh, panopticonic metropolises on a single charge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you expect that when we see the next wave of su- supply disruptions, most of the aid and restoration efforts might be focused on urban population centers? That kind of uh, plays into to what we were just talking about.
1: Right. Well, yeah, um, I, I really do think so. And, um, you know, um, people that, that don't live in cities – at least people that have been out of cities for a long time, not necessarily the brand new people that have just moved out from the cities. But, you know, those of us that have lived out there longer, um, you know, they can count on us to just kind of sit back and, and wait it out. You know, we don't, we don't riot. We don't, you know, cause problems. Um, but we also don't expect government to come and solve our problems for us. Um, we generally take care of our families and our neighbors, and, you know, we just, you know, it, it, it's a it's a quieter way to live. Um, but I think, you know, at this point, there's so many new people that have moved out from the cities um, that they're going to be pretty uncomfortable with some of the discom- discomforts, you know, of, of living in rural areas and um, realizing if the cities are, are getting food deliveries, say, and the rural towns just aren't getting that, or the the cities are getting, you know, gasoline and the rural towns, you know, are having their gas pumps drying up. Um, All of these things, I think, can be used to play into getting the people herded back into the cities, um, which is their goal.
0: What do those of us in rural areas need to be doing right now to hedge against this threat?
1: Well, um, we always kind of need to plan to be on our own, and under normal circumstances, you know, we plan to wait out a long winter storm or, you know, um, like I said, days without power or whatever. Um, But I think going forward, we need to extend those plans quite a bit. Um, We should plan to not have any government help or assistance, and if the power goes out, You know, we should be prepared to live without it um, indefinitely. Um, We need to prepare to provide for our families with food, water, and shelter, including heat, on a long-term basis, not just, you know, for the three-day power outage or the five-day winter storm.
0: yeah and uh and we gotta i think when we're when we're when we're planning for all that we gotta keep in mind um you know just even for the short term uh the the supply disruptions we're already seeing mm-hmm. where our area it's for the first time in eighteen months pretty much since since covid started uh we're starting to see uh mason jars come back on the shelves at, oh. <laughs> at the at the at the walmart and the and the um uh, tractor supply and grocery stores. Everybody's got mason jars again. Oh. A few, not much lids. If you're going to buy anything, you got to buy the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Right. But uh, but they're available again now, and you know, and that's something that people think. Oh, I've got a hundred jars. Okay. If you had to, if you had to live com- solely on on what you produced and what you canned last year. A hundred jars would mean that you would have one jar that would get you, um, you could eat one of those every four days. Right.
1: And if if you've got a family family of five,
0: that's (laughs) going to be like two green beans each.
1: Right. You're going to be starving pretty quick. Uh And in fact, you won't eat one can every four days. You know, you're going to be opening two cans a day at minimum and you're just going to run out sooner. Um, and I think that goes into, and, and I, and I want to talk about that too, um, you know, people think they're going to go out and they're going to make a big garden and they're going to grow all their food and it's going to be fine. Um, but realistically, even people that have big gardens now that have been doing it for years and have learned through their mistakes how to keep that going, um, they don't rely on that garden to feed their family through the winter. It supplements their food that they get at the grocery store. So, um, you know, I think food storage is, is such a necessity. I mean, I, I think everybody should have a year's worth of food somehow stored in their home or nearby, um, you know, for their family, because, um, even if you are a great gardener, um, you don't want to have to rely on trying to feed your family out of that garden. Oh, which brings me to something else, if I can just go off on a little tangent. Oh here. sure, please. Um so um one of the new kinds of prime that California is seeing um is people are using drones to spy out farms. And then they're going in and uh when the farmer's not home or whatever or at night, and they're going in and stealing things from the farm that they found um, by flying their drones over. And so they're stealing things like ATVs and and whatnot that they can use or resell. Um, But I just think people should realize that, you know, if they're able to grow a big garden or if they have a farm that anybody knows about, um, they're going to be Possibly targeted for theft. It's already happening in California, and we don't even have any big crisis going on right now. It's just normal life.
0: Wow, I hadn't heard of that. So, uh, so what you're saying is stock up on birdshot, right? And tar- <laughs> target load what,
1: tar- whatever you target need. Target load's
0: cheap and uh... <laughs>
1: <laughs> to repel invaders. Yes, please.
0: <laughs> and uh, um, the 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 latest shortage here is uh, tomato cages. Really? You know, so you can't, uh, there, there's there's nowhere you can find a tomato cage. Uh okay, if you well, look, you can
1: stake tomatoes. If anybody doesn't you know, can, you can stake them. You can stake yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh,
0: but now that's you got to, but that's a, that's a lot more work. You've got to get out there with the with the, the twine and, and tie oh, them up. Oh, no. And,
1: there's and, work. Help. <laughs> all We're going to have a garden without working.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, right? One <laughs> uh, of those those vertical indoor gardens that. uh um,
1: right yeah have you, have you seen like pictures
0: of those things
1: i've i've seen a variety of pictures I'm not sure if I've seen exactly what you're describing but so yeah.
0: they're 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 basically it's basically a hydroponic system and it goes it goes straight up it's a wall hmm. and and they'll just be wall after wall and then and so it, they're they're growing all the food indoors in a warehouse and this That's is kind so they can, oh it's it's really creepy because uh you know, walmart has a has a uh uh, a patent for wow. autonomous pollinator drones that can not only pollinate but also spray the insecticides wow. needed for indoor vertical uh gardening so it's it's pretty <laughs> it's it's pretty otherworldly i mean it's it's beyond anything i could have ever dreamed up for a book Right. Uh, maybe you and too. It's just, it's just. I just don't even think he, like
1: that. Yeah, and it raises the question: Why? Why does somebody think that there would be a need for such indoor gardening to such a big, a big scale? That you know, what are they expecting in the future that would cause a demand for that?
0: It could be that that instead of uh, global warming, that we're actually going into like a, a solar minimum um uh sort of like mini ice age cycle, you know? Yeah. And that the whole global warming thing's a, a lie and they know it. So it could be that. Uh it could be that they just they just like carving God out of the equation at every chance they get. You know, <laughs> because they they they've got their their own sort of Messiah complex and and, and you know uh it's sort of the 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 original, original sin, you know, we think of Adam and Eve and their fall mm-hmm. as being the original sin. But before that, you know, Satan was, was an archangel and, and was cast down from his position because he wanted to be God. And that's, that's essentially the lie he sold to Eve is that, you know, eat of this fruit and you will be like gods.
1: Right.
0: So, uh, so I think that that's, that's the, the the sin that predates man mm-hmm. and and it's the one that's that was uh brought early under the scene after after the creation of man and continues all the way through now is that that you know you will be like gods and i think that that it's just uh it's um i think that that's a a big part of of globalism and and everything that we've been talking
1: about yeah yeah, and it may it may be that, um, you know, I don't know. It may be the the ice age deal. I don't know. It Just it, it intrigues me that you know somebody would come up with an idea for that and and think that it would be, you know, a big marketable plan. That's that's pretty strange.
0: And uh, you've lived in some fairly austere circumstances. You lived in Alaska for a while. Uh, And then you spent a decade living off-grid. Tell us about those experiences.
1: Okay. Well, um, I've always had a flush toilet, so it wasn't too austere. Okay. Um, (laughs) Just in case anybody has any illusions. We do have an outhouse, um, but only for emergencies. And our previous house also had an outhouse, which I avoided as much as possible. Um, But, yeah, uh, we lived in Alaska for a while, and... um, that was very interesting. We lived in the interior, which is where it gets really cold, and also where it has a better growing season in the summer. It gets warmer in the summer there in the interior than it does along the coast. Um, but we had to learn to adapt to significant cold in the winter, um, minus 40 degrees. Um, wow. That kind of that kind of weather. Um, which, by the way, in case. Listeners aren't aware. Minus 40, I think, is both Celsius and Fahrenheit. That's where the two um, measurements kind of intersect. So when oh, wow. you say minus 40, you don't have to clarify. Um, but anyway, um, something that people that visit that area in the summer might notice is that there's a lot of um, electrical outlets in, in big parking lots um, around Fairbanks and other places. Um, and they, you know, shouldn't have the idea that those are for electrical vehicles. Those are for in the wintertime, um, everybody uses engine block heaters or battery blankets so that when they park their car and go into the office to work or do whatever, um, they can plug those in. And when they come back out, their car will still start. Um, because if you don't, have a battery blanket or an engine block heater or something, you know, um, your your engine's not going to start up at those temperatures. Um, so just learning to adapt to the cold. Um, also, the cabin that we lived in um, and the whole area in that neighborhood had a lot of iron in the water. So while we did have running water, it was kind of orange. And, um, so certainly, we didn't drink it we hauled our we hauled our drinking water, um, but that iron content um tinted everything um my hair, the dishes, the bathtub, so much so that when I came home to visit my family, um my mom thought that I had colored my hair, you know it was kind of red <laughs> um, so we learned to you know haul our our drinking water and and deal with that um And then when we lived off-grid, you know, we learned kind of a different sort of lifestyle, basically huge conservation of energy. Um, You know, you don't waste electricity. We didn't use um, anything electrical for heating or cooling or even something like I didn't use um, a hair straightener or a hair curler, anything that uses heat. From energy, we didn't use those kinds of things um, because they just draw a lot. And the same with things that produce cold, like a refrigerator or an air conditioner. Uh, we did have a fridge, but of course, it was on propane, uh, so it wasn't pulling any energy from our electrical system. And instead of um, an air conditioner, we had a swamp cooler, um, which basically, for people that aren't familiar with that, it's um, it's like a fan. And it uses water, um, and it blows across uh, a like cloth basically that's saturated with water, um, and it just fans um, cooler air into your home. Um, not really much cooler, but it kind of feels that way from the combination of the of the the air and the and the um, water. Um, also, one of the big things in Living Off Grid um, that I learned is that lightning arresters are very important. Uh, we get a lot of thunderstorms in my area, and um, we did have a lightning strike that damaged our system. Um, we did have a lightning arrester, um, but we still uh, lost our charge controller and had to replace that. And then when we replaced our lightning arrester, we were able to get one that can take two strikes instead of one. So, um, you know, that's one thing to know about off-grid systems is that they have uh, vulnerabilities. Um, I mean, all the obvious ones, you know, that you recognize, like, not as much power constantly available as in a normal house. Um, but also just the system itself, you know, um, has some vulnerabilities. And I've heard of something, Mark, you may have you may know something about this. I had never heard about it until this year, that um, people are able now to get EMP arresters, um, which apparently protect their homes or maybe can protect their solar systems. Um, and that was something I'd never even heard about until this year, but I've heard about it twice now, so from different sources. So um, something to look into if anybody's, you know, concerned about solar flares or EMPs, that there may be something like an EMP arrestor that may um, save your system or protect your house.
0: Yeah, I've had uh, Engineer 775, Scott Hunt, he's been on the show before, and, and, and we specifically talked about that. The uh, There's a company called EMP Shield, and evidently they've got contracts with the government, and they do it for the government and everything, and he's looked into the tech. And he's a little, he's a little skeptical, um, as to whether or not those, uh, those would work. They just, they basically, I think go into, uh, tie into your, your fuse box. Um, there are, there's ways to, to harden an entire system, but I think it's a little more, um, complicated than just that little box from, from, from what he thinks. And, And like I said, he is an engineer and, and that's kind of what he does um but uh i i I worry that things like that you know if it doesn't work
1: right
0: <laughs> and every the rest of the country's gone because you're hit by an e m p there's right. not really anybody to hold accountable for it. You're going to have bigger problems,
1: um, right? For sure.
0: Yeah. So I guess I guess you know maybe get it, but don't depend on it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hope it works. If you can afford have it, a little, you know.
0: Have a little tiny back. I think it's good to have a little tiny backup system.
1: You oh know, yeah. Uh,
0: you know that's that's completely unconnected and either Definitely. in a in a basement if you've got if you've got a metal roof or you know in some kind of a little Faraday cage or something to where you can at least charge flashlight batteries and, uh, you know, and have some, some radios wrapped in aluminum foil and you can charge those, you know.
1: Right, definitely. In fact, um, that was, that's, that's something I, I would like to mention too. Um, you know, we um, do keep some solar panels uh, that are not connected to anything um, and um, some battery backups that are not connected to anything. They should be... Um, shielded in a Faraday cage, and at the moment they aren't necessarily in there. Um, but the, but the idea being, um, to have some things that are not connected to the system so that, um, if we need them, we can pull them out and, um, charge certain devices. I would like to have some communications devices that work and, um, also some lighting because that really is important for those of us that live further north. Um, it gets dark here you know, four or five in the afternoon, and it would really be nice to have a little lighting after that in our homes.
0: And uh, you you grew up as a farm girl, is that right?
1: I did. Yes. Um, so my family are multi-generational farmers, and um, my great-grandparents were homesteaders um, in the, the region where I live, and uh, my family still owns... Um, the farm that my grandparents bought in the 1950s Um, and so yes when I came home from being born at the hospital I landed on the farm and stayed there basically until I turned 18 and went to college so um, you know I had all of those experiences which at the time were perfectly normal to me I didn't realize that lots of people well I probably realized but didn't really think about the fact that most people didn't have those experiences um, my friends at that time, you know, when I was a kid, they were farm kids that lived in the same area. Or they maybe they weren't farm kids, but they were rural kids, you know, that still lived out of town. And I don't think I had town friends, really, um, until I was in high school, you know, um, because up until then, you know, most of the kids that I hung out with either lived on a farm or somewhere in the rural area.
0: And now, was that, uh, that was the, the main source of income for your family,
1: was farming? No, goodness. Uh, most farmers don't make a living from farming, even if they do it commercially. Um, so, no, um, my grandparents had other jobs, and my dad um, had a business separate. Um, we did sell cattle, um, but uh, no, it's, it's really, even though it's a fairly large farm, it, it, it's really hard to make a living doing that. And um, one of my siblings um, has made great efforts and, and strong achievements in that direction. Um, but uh, you really need in, in, almost all farmers need some supplemental income from a job or a business or something else.
0: So you guys raised cattle and other, any other animals?
1: Um, yeah. Well, primarily cows, um, we had chickens and and when I was younger, we had rabbits and um, then, of course, we had pets, horses, and dogs and cats, and you know the general pets that you have growing up. Um, we had um, big gardens. Uh, my grandmother was actually a commercial gardener, and um, and then, of course, my parents had a big garden, and uh, they used. Slave labor, namely their children, (laughs) to help with that, you know, so we learned about, you know, starting seeds and, and, and planting seedlings in the, in the garden and, you know, weeding and hoeing and watering and harvesting and, you know, preserving, you know, putting food up, um, canning or freezing or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, that was all just part of our experience, um, which now, you know, as a prepper, all of these things, this knowledge, um, turns out to be very good to have.
0: Sure, absolutely. And the, the rabbits—those, those were meat rabbits.
1: Yes, and we had those when I was fairly young. So, um, and then my dad decided not to do that when I was a little older. So, my memories of the rabbits um, were from my early childhood, rather than, rather than you know, when I was a little bit older.
0: Yeah, did you have a lot of, did you have separation anxiety when, when you'd go to the, the hutch and, and there were uh, less rabbits than, than, than before dinner?
1: No, not really. Um, you know, I pretty much, just growing up on a farm, you know, you learn pretty early that um, animals provide food and um that it's not a great idea to turn the food animals into pets, you know. Uh, don't you know, name the, them. <laughs> well, <laughs> we did name a lot of our cows even. But, um, you know, the pets were like, you know, the cats. You right. know, we're not going to eat the cats. We're <laughs> not going to eat the dogs. Yeah. You know, we're not going to eat the horses. <laughs> right. So we had, you know, so we had pets. Um, but then we had, you know, the food animals. And um, so we did understand um, pretty early on that, you know, that's what they were for. Um and so we weren't encouraged. I think my dad was good about not encouraging us to turn them into pets, you know, to not try to make them really friendly or, you know, um, but to, you know, play with the cats and the kittens instead. Uh,
0: what about what about crops? What what uh what crops did you grow?
1: Um, basically we grew just big gardens. Um, we had hay crops, we had hay fields, um, and also um timber. Um, which most people don't think of as a crop, but in my region, you know, people, you know, harvest timber and grow timber. Um, so basically, those. Um, my grandmother, when I, you know, when I say she was a commercial gardener, she actually um, basically sold bedding plants, um, seedling plants um, to people. She actually had an outlet in town where she distributed from. Um so we weren't she wasn't selling you know the 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 potatoes themselves um my brother has has done a lot of sales of of potatoes and and different root crops and you know salad type um vegetables and stuff like that so pretty good mix i guess for our area
0: very good and uh so when it all goes dark you're gonna you you you've got the skills and i think that's very under- underestimated i still see a lot of people, you know, they they um they uh they think they're just gonna get the little the little plot and the survival seed vault and that uh when game day comes they're gonna get out there and, and start producing hundred percent of their own food. Uh it's not very realistic.
1: No, that's not anybody that's done it
0: that that is that has done it and, and just going from region to region.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I grew up in Kentucky um farming there was very different from, you know, we didn't really, I didn't really farm when I was in Florida, but we had raised beds and, uh, you know, it was very different to, to go from that type of farming to trying to do those raised beds in Florida and then switching to, uh, Appalachia where I'm out at now and, and, and we're in the region I'm in has very heavy clay soil. So it's, it's a, and and the the predators are completely different, mm-hmm. so uh, it 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 changes. And and you 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 may be a very expert gardener, uh, it, or you could have grown up as an expert gardener. But if you grew up in in California gardening, and you try to move to Kansas, it's going to be apples and oranges from what you grew up with and what you, what you think you know. And
1: right, so, definitely. Uh,
0: very very important to get out there and do it. You don't have to pr- produce 100% of your own food, but if you can produce five percent or 10%, and and what you said earlier about people supplementing their food, you know one of the things we we see in, in in very impoverished countries, you know in Venezuela and things like that, you know when they go stand in line for food all day um, to get one food item from one store, it's typically going to be something like flour, cornmeal or rice. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be something starchy uh that's that's calorie dense and complete. There's going to be probably little to no fat, little to no um uh protein and 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 very very few nutrients. So, you know, if you're able to, you know, have some rabbits where you can get some protein from them. And maybe grow some uh sunflower seeds or or you know have a goat or or something like that where you can get some fat you know from the from the dairy and 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 raise some some lettuces and some you know and some um uh tomatoes and green beans and and things like that where you can get some nutrients um i think that that's 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 a good starter plan it's much much better than 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 nothing
1: right right and also um you know, to stock up on some multivitamins. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think people don't necessarily think of that when they're, you know, um, doing some kind of food survival plan. But um, if you're not going to have access to a wide variety of foods, you probably will be missing certain vitamins and nutrients. And, you know, multivitamins might help a little bit with that.
0: Sure, absolutely. Uh, Daniel Craig played in a movie called Defiance. It's based on the true story of Jews who had to flee their homes into the wilderness to escape the Nazis. Your books look at sort of future scenarios where Christians might have to bug out and hide out to survive. Can you give us some tips to prepare for such a last-ditch effort?
1: Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, you know, some of my books do look at those future scenarios. And, um... You know Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 24 that when a certain event takes place on the world stage, they need to flee to the mountains. Um, and the reason why, in large part, is because they won't be able to remain in their homes and communities. So, um, yeah, I think that that's something that Christians, and not only Christians, because this can happen to other persecuted groups as well, uh, but but people really need to consider that this may um, occur at some point in the future. Um, and there's numerous things I think that people can do now to start getting ready for something like that. Um, uh, number one for everybody is, is a spiritual preparation, you know, get close to God because if, if things are going that bad, um lots of us are not going to survive. So, You know, the important thing is to, you know, be ready to meet our maker should that happen. Um, But beyond that, as far as, you know, if you are able to live longer, um, physical health is so important. Um, And start now. I mean, start eating healthy local food that's grown in your area because if it comes down to that, that's what will be available is local food that's grown in your area. And get exercise outdoors, um, you know, as much as possible within the limitations of your um, actual health issues if you have those or age or whatever. Um, And get accustomed to being uncomfortable physically um, because if you are going to have to suddenly, you know, flee to the mountains or, you know, live somewhere else – It might not be warm or it might be too cold or it might be too hot or it might be rainy or whatever. So just get a little more accustomed to being outside and and dealing with the discomfort of that to the extent that you can. The other thing, um, really study how people have historically survived in the forests and wilderness. People have done this. There's been oppressed groups before. There's been persecuted groups Um, I especially did study the Jews um, from World War II that survived because nearly all of them that survived, except for a handful, really, that came out of the the camps at the end that were rescued, the ones that survived, survived, um, you know, in the forests or in the wilderness or, you know, um, in hiding. Um, So study and see how they did it because they did it and it's doable. And a lot of people think, oh, we can't do that. But yeah, you can, and people have done it throughout history, um, different oppressed people groups. Um, also, really important um, to learn and practice backwoods survival skills. Um, and don't just read about how to do outdoors survival skills, but actually practice them and learn to do them so that you know that when the time comes, you know how to do that. You know, you have the memory, you have the experience, you have, you know, the confidence that you actually know how to do it. Um, like starting a fire and have multiple methods for starting fires, establishing a shelter um, in your area, what what uh, things are available to build shelters with, um, purifying water. You know, you definitely do not want to have Giardia, which I have had and I do not recommend it. Um, it's also known as beaver fever. And, you know, if you don't, if your water is not purified, you can get really sick. And if you get really sick and don't have access to antibiotics, I mean, that can be the end right there. So definitely purify the water and learn how to do that now and practice doing it. Um, other skills, hunting, fishing, trapping, foraging, um, You know, be careful on the foraging because some of what's out there, you know, is toxic and you need to know which is and which isn't, um, especially mushrooms if you pick those. Um, Other skills, you know, involve your kids, get them hiking and backpacking, Um, learn some wilderness navigation skills, and make some decisions about um, clothing and gear. Um, I've had to kind of change my opinions on um, clothing and gear when I was in my 20s. I went for really durable gear um, because, you know, you might have to use it for a long time and, you know, it it might wear out. Um, and now that I have passed my 40th birthday, I'm looking more into lightweight gear because I'm not as strong and physically capable as I was, you know, when I was 20 years old. Um, you know, um, people age and, and they develop issues, you know, with their joints or their back or their whatever. And so make some decisions about, you know, uh, the gear that you're going to be using. Um, also, I'm really big right now into hot tents, which is, um, you know, forever there's been the canvas wall tents um, you know, dating back to the 1880s or whatever, uh, the trappers, you know, would take these canvas wall tents and, and they would live in them. Um, but those things are heavy and, um, there are hot tents now. And when I say hot tent, what I'm referring to is a tent that you can actually have, um, a small wood stove, a lightweight camp wood stove inside the tent, uh, to heat it. And in my area, um, you know, heating your living uh, area is is critical. Um, so I'm really into hot tents, and I've found some lightweight ones that I am um, trying out. Um, so look into that as a possibility. Um, also, what about you know, caching some food and supplies and tools um, in the area that you expect to eventually possibly have to be in? You know, pre-positioning some of those things. Um, And then also I've been thinking, and and this is uh, in one of my books, um, I bring it up too, as far as moving things, um, you know, your gear. If you really end up having to go to the wilderness, you're going to really like having more gear than you can reasonably carry on your back at one time. So um, one of the things that I looked into is an ice fishing sled. It's basically a really heavy duty, durable plastic sled and it can hold some stuff and you can pull it. And, um, you know, it's, it's really tough. Another option is a game cart. You know, a lot of hunters year, use deer carts and and whatnot to haul their game out of the woods. Um, so these game carts are designed to, um, carry heavy loads over rough surfaces, that kind of thing. Um, the other thing really is that, um, realistically, young people have the best chance of survival. If you look historically, um, both at the Forest Jews during World War II and um, other, you know, groups that have had a rough time, um, the younger people do have the best chances of survival just because of their resiliency and strength and health. So teach your children well. I mean, um, get your kids and teenagers involved in all of these activities And make sure they know how to start fires with multiple methods um, in case they need to to do that while camping or, you know, eventually in the wilderness. Make sure they know how to purify water. Um, You know, teach them some hunting and fishing skills. Go camping with them. You know, make it fun. Um, But definitely get them on the right track so um, their chances of survival are increased.
0: All good stuff um what's the name of your your most recent series
1: my most recent series is the tribulation series um and that has two books out right now saints and sinners and the third book martyrs will be coming out um it's set to come out in september but it may come out sooner than that
0: fantastic um and so I think you've got a lot of folks interested in, uh, in checking out your stuff. I think there's probably a lot of crossover between your readers and my readers. So uh, this is probably not new territory for a lot of my listeners. A lot of them are probably already aware of you. But uh, for the ones that, that are new that, that haven't heard of Jamie Lee Gray before, uh, where do they find your work?
1: Well, it's all on Amazon. And... Um... If they want to find my webpage, it's at jamieleegray.com.
0: Jamie, thanks so much for making time for us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.